0: Father, uh, we just thank you for uh, what you're doing in our church and uh, what you're doing uh, throughout this land. And uh, Lord, we've uh, been praying for revival. And Lord, we want to see every church grow in this country. We want to see we want to see all the churches in the United States of America uh, have a great revival and see people saved and baptized and and. Uh, just we want to see great things happen, Lord. But as you're going to show us today, uh, uh, we want to do it the right way. There's a, a way to grow a church, and there's a way not to grow a church. And you're going to show us in this lesson today just just the wrong way and the right way. And so uh, it's important for us to see this. And and in the mix of this text, Lord, we're also going to see the the great story of Christmas and and uh, about your coming and. And uh, what a great uh, event that is and how it impacts our lives. We're We're just blessed by your word and we ask you to especially bless us today, Lord. And I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. You know, there are a lot of people out there who have a business that will tell you how to grow your church. There's all sorts of church growth. Gurus. I get emails all the time, phone calls all the time, and they've got all these different ways. If you want to have a mega church, this is how you do it. D. Hayward gives the following seven essentials if you want your church to become a mega church. Listen to, listen to what you've got to do you've got to have superb programs, you've got to have a posh building. Hey, we got a pretty posh building, don't we? Well, sort of. You've got to have superb music. Well, we certainly have superb music. You've got to have positive messages. You never teach anything negative. Uh, you've got to have coffee and snacks before the service. Who wants to take that over, that, that particular thing? Okay, you've got to have coffee and snacks before the service, and those are some of the main things, but there's some peripheral issues that you've got to have. You've got to have plenty of parking. we got plenty of parking. You've got to have Disney-like entertainment. For the children and never never are you to allow your service to go over an hour good luck with that right the church growth guy there's a guy called the church growth guy he says that the most effective way to be bring people in the church is through the media through radio having your services on radio advertisements on radio tv have great signage, we've got great signage, uh, mail-outs, and then more than anything else, you're to make your services entertaining. They should be very entertaining. Now, Outreach Magazine, which is probably the largest of these groups that, that uh, provide supplies for church growth, uh, Outreach Magazine uh, suggests that one of the best ways to grow your church is to have a themed MESSAGE SERIES, AND uh, THEY EVEN SUGGEST THAT WHEN YOU HAVE THESE SERIES, THAT THE PASTOR SHOULD WEAR A COSTUME THAT REFLECTS THE MESSAGE OF THE SERIES. SO IF YOU'RE PREACHING ON LAW, THE PASTOR SHOULD WEAR A POLICEMAN SUIT, A UNIFORM. I KNOW WHAT YOU'RE THINKING, THAT AIN'T GOING TO (laughs) HAPPEN. Now. Most of the Calvary Chapel pastors of the megachurches wear Hawaiian shirts. Maybe that's what I'm missing. Maybe I need to wear a Hawaiian shirt, but, but uh, no, we know better than that. What, whatever happened to what Paul says, preach the word in season and when, out of season. Whatever happened to what Jesus said, if I am lifted up, If I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Now, when he said all men, did he mean every human being who's ever lived? No. All the men who are going to come into the kingdom of God, all the men and women who are going to get saved. I will, if you will lift me up, I will, who draws them? The pastor? No. I will draw them unto me. Whatever happened to the way the early church did it, and they grew, and, and the way they did it, they, and I'm reading from Acts, they continued steadfast in the teaching of the apostles' doctrine in fellowship of the breaking of bread and in prayers. That was their method. Now, let me read that again. They continued steadfast in the teaching of the apostles' doctrine in the fellowship of the breaking of the bread and in prayers. Look. There's nothing wrong with having a nice building. There's nothing wrong with having a great children's ministry. There's nothing wrong with having plenty of parking when people come, and and there's nothing wrong with those things. But as John's going to make it clear today, uh, appealing to the flesh is not the way you grow a church. The way you grow a church, the real church grows when it grows in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying, and this is not what I'm saying, I'm not saying, well, we're a small church, so we're a good church, and I've heard people say that. You can't be a big church and be a, be a good church. I'm not saying that mega churches are bad. I'm not saying that at all. Take a look at your picture of your bulletin that David put on there today, and, and look at those two churches that you see on the bulletin. I mean, you see one megachurch. Somewhere here it is. You see one megachurch, and you see this poor little guy preaching to one person. Now, is that little guy preaching to one person a great pastor? I don't know. He might be a terrible pastor, and that's why he's only got one person listening. He might be a terrible preacher, but he might be a great preacher, and there's just nobody there that wants to hear the truth. He might be preaching out of season. I remember, and I've shared this with you before, I remember years ago going to visit Brenda's grandparents, and they had a they lived way out in the country near Waynesboro, and there was a little gravel road that led to their house about five, it went about five miles before you got to their house. And about three miles into the trip, there was this little white Baptist church sitting there on that gravel road way out in the country. You probably didn't seek more than 30 people. And I told Brennan, you know, it'd be kind of fun. We were going to be there on Sunday. I said, it'd be kind of fun to go listen to this pastor i figured he was going to be terrible just absolutely terrible who would pastor a little church on a gravel road way out in the country and we went and i got to tell you it's one of the best sermons i've ever heard in my life it was me and my wife and about two other couples and i thought boy how faithful is that guy to the lord here he is I mean, he's not getting any accolades. I mean, he's not making any money, obviously, teaching in that kind of con- to that kind of congregation. And there he is out on this gravel road and giving his very best unto the Lord. Now, I've been in some churches on gravel roads way out in the country, and I've heard the preachers, and you understand why they're preaching on a church in a gravel road way out in the country. They're terrible. I've been to some mega churches where the preaching is absolutely Fantastic. I mean, you love to hear that pastor. You love to listen to him exposit the word verse by verse. I mean, Chuck Smith was one of those, a great preacher. But then I've been to some mega churches. I haven't been to them. I've watched them on TV. I've seen some on TV where they don't spit out anything but heresy. And so you can't measure a church by its size, and, and you can't measure a church's growth unless it's growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And, and, and John's going to speak to us on this subject a little bit or, or indirectly uh, as we look at uh, 1 John chapter number 3 and, and then go into chapter number 4. So go with me to chapter number 3 and look down at verse number 24 and listen to what he says. He says, now he who keeps his commandments. Whose commandments? Jesus' commandments. Jesus's commandments. He who keeps his commandments abides in him. In other words, you live with Christ if you keep his commandments. We saw that last week. He went through that whole uh, uh, doctrine last week. He says, and if you don't keep his commandments, you're not of him. He who keeps his commandments abides in him and Jesus in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us see the real church grows when we keep his commandments and what are his commandments is he talking about the 10 commandments here no that's not what he's talking about there's two commandments john gave us what were those two commandments that we believe on the name of jesus christ and that we love one another and that's really not two commandments that's only one commandment because if you If Christ abides in you, and Christ is love, and and how, how does he abide in you? He abides in you when you believe in him. So when you believe in Christ, Christ comes to live in you, Christ in you, your hope of glory. He comes to live in you, he abides in you, and Christ is love. And so if Christ is truly in you, love abides in you. And so you naturally love one another. You can't be filled with hate if Christ lives in you because he's not hate, he's love. Now, I got to say this, you still have a hateful old flesh. You still got a nasty, mean old flesh. But you know that there's something in you that's better than that flesh. And that's the divine seed that God has given you. Christ in you, your hope of glory. Now, go with me to... to, uh, 1 John chapter 4. We move into chapter 4 now and look at verse number 1. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Beloved, he's speaking to the the, uh, born-again believers. Do not believe every spirit, uh, but test the spirits. You know, just because you're at a mega church doesn't mean you're at, a right, the, at the right place. Just because you're at a small church doesn't mean you're at, a wrong, at the wrong place. He says, test the spirits, whether they are of God. Whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. They, are, they were out there in John's day, and they're out there in our day. There's many, many. False prophets who have gone out into the world. Two types of spirits have gone out into the world: the spirit of God, which is the spirit of truth, and the spirit of Antichrist, which is the spirit of error, which is the spirit of the devil. So there's two types of spirits out there. There's two types, which means there's two types of churches out there. And he's speaking in in, in terms of the church. He's speaking to the beloved. Don't be fooled by these false teachers, these false prophets, these antichrists. Don't let them fool you because some are of God and some are of the antichrist and of the devil. I mean, the spirit of Christ speaks through uh, men of God. The spirit of the false prophets and teachers speaks through ungodly men, people who claim to be prophets. Who claim to be of God, but are Antichrist. You know what exactly what Paul warned us about over in 1 Timothy chapter 4? Remember what he said, and you don't have to flip there now. He says, I know, he says, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times. Now, what are the latter times? We've talked about the last days. The last days begin at Pentecost and they will end with the second coming of Jesus Christ. Whenever you see the latter times in the Bible, you're talking about the very last days. And and guess what? You're living in the very last days. So he says, in the last days, some, or in the latter times, not the last days, some will depart from faith and give heed to deceiving spirits and the doctrines of demons. In other words, they're going to church and they're listening to the doctrine of demons instead of the doctrines of god they're deceiving spirits and they're and and they're out there and they're trying to dupe the masses uh, with a false gospel and a false uh, doctrine and so all of us every single person who calls himself a christian is to test the spirits whether they are of christ or whether they are of antichrist. You should do that right here. I mean, you should look at me and say, he's of Christ or he's of antichrist. Now, how do we do that? How do we test those spirits? John's going to give us, I believe, the mother of all tests here in a minute. But A.W. Tozer does a very good job of giving these tests of whether or not uh, a church is... Of the Spirit of Christ or of the Spirit of Antichrist? Listen listen to these these tests that he gives. And David's gonna put these up on the screen so you can kind of follow them with me uh, and maybe help you assimilate what he's saying here. Listen to what he's the first test. He says, How does the teaching of the church affect my relationship with God? Is the Lord magnified and glorified? Or is he diminished? Any service that doesn't magnify the Lord, that diminishes the glory of the Lord in any form of fashion, is anti-Christ. It's of the spirit of error. So that's a great test. Does your pastor... Does the teacher you're listening to on the radio or on TV, do they glorify themselves or do they glorify Jesus Christ? Is he magnified or is he diminished? Any pastor that lifts himself up and makes himself the main thing, he is diminishing, he's putting Christ second to him. Get as far away from that person as you possibly can. They're on TV. Don't send them any money. Send it here. No, i'm teasing the second question he raises how does the teaching of the church affect my attitude towards jesus christ does it magnify him which is real similar to the first question and give him first place or does it subtly shift my focus unto myself and on some personal experience you know there are so many people who go to church for a personal experience instead of going to bless God. You know, we always are talking about getting blessings from God. You know what God wants from us when we come to church? He wants us to bless him. And, 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 we're, and we should be blessing him by what we do in our services, if if it's not about blessing him and it's all about us having some kind of personal experience where we bark or we laugh or we roll around on the ground and get high, that's not of the Lord. That is of Antichrist. The third question, or the third test that he raises in the form of a question is, how does the teaching of the church affect my attitude toward Scripture? Well, that's very important. You know, if you go to a church where they never mention the Bible, they talk more about Dr. Phil than they talked about Dr. Jesus, you're at the wrong church. I mean, does the teaching come from and agree with the word? Or does it increase, And uh, if it agrees with the word, then, hey, that's good. Does it increase my love for his word? Let me tell you what, if you're a child of God, You love the Word of God. If you're right here today and you don't love the Word of God, you're not a child of God. It's your food. You love the Word of God like a baby loves milk. It's a natural thing if you've been born again. You love the Word. But but what happens when you come and break this bread as a group in fellowship, it increases your love for the Word. It should. And if it doesn't, then there's something wrong. Go find another church. It should make you want to get into the Word. Then number four, now he's going to really start stepping on toes here. How does the teaching affect my self-life? Does it feed my pride? Is it a church that makes me the thing? Is it all about making me happy? Or does it feed my humility? You know, I had somebody tell me a couple of weeks ago, we were at lunch, I said, man, I love coming to your church because I always feel bad when I leave. (laughs) And I said, what? He said, well, it always convicts me. I'm always convicted. And I always feel bad. I said, well, that's not my intention. I believe in, you know, lifting you up and encourage you in Jesus Christ. But but there is this thing that it should make you feel humble. It should make you feel convicted. And and he's going to. Kind of say that in the next one, look at number five or in the next couple of questions here, test. And, and number five, he says, how does it affect my relationship to other Christians? Does it cause me to withdraw and find fault and exalt myself? Or does it lead me into genuine love for all that truly know Christ? That's part of the conviction, isn't it? You know, I'll tell you what, what I'm studying through John and he says, hey, you're not born again if you don't love others. I mean, it kind of convicts me that I don't love people enough and that we should show more love for one another. And that's, that's the message of the Bible. Jesus said this commandment, eight, one commandment I give you, that you love one another. A new commandment, he says, that you love one another. And I got news for you. If you love the Lord, you're going to love one another. That's why the Ten Commandments are all about loving the Lord and loving one another. Jesus summed them up. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the commandments. It's all about loving other people. It's loving God and loving other people. And, and, and that the Bible's full of that. And so if you're teaching the Bible, that's what you're going to hear each week. Then the sixth test that he gives, how does the teaching of the church affect my relationship with the world? Does it lead me to pursue the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life then it's the spirit of error that does that in other words does it lead us to pursue the world or does it lead us to pursue christ if i get up here every week and you're man you come out and say man i can't wait to to go after everything i can get because god's promised me everything i can get all i gotta do is name it and claim it if that's what i'm teaching you that's of antichrist if I'm teaching you that God provides your needs, that God, uh, man, all, what you want to do is make Christ the number one thing, that you want to, and, all, and all these other things will be added unto you, that's the spirit of God, not the spirit of Antichrist. Then the last test that he gives, he says, how does the teaching of the church affect my attitude towards sin? Man, that's a biggie in today's world. Because all the churches have kind of given in to sin. And there are things that are abomination to the Lord that people are calling okay now. But the Lord, They say that the Lord says they're okay. The Lord has evolved. The Lord does not evolve. The Lord is say the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He does not change. And what he hates, he's always hated. And so Uh, How does the teaching affect my attitude towards sin? Does it cause me to tolerate certain sins in my life and in the life of others? Or does it cause me to totally turn from my sin and seek holiness? The word of God causes you to seek holiness. It wants you to seek holiness. Any teaching that makes sin deplorable, he says to us, and holiness, our goal is genuine. That's genuine teaching. It's genuine teaching. You get convicted. You get convicted. Maybe you do feel bad when you leave here. Maybe you do feel like, man, I'm into some kind of sin. I need to get out of my life. Well, if you feel that way, that's good. If you feel like you got to do it yourself, that's bad. And some churches that teach that. The way we feel is that Christ in you is your hope of glory. He's the one who fixes your problems with sin. Yeah, you should be convicted, but you've got a great hope in Jesus Christ. Now, you could add all sorts of other tests to that list, and, and I could give you a list a mile long if I wanted to, of what a good church should be and what a bad church is. I could give you that. But listen, you don't need that. You don't need that. Look down, jump ahead down to verse number 4, and just the very first part of it. Listen to what he says in verse The first part of verse number four, he says, you are of God, little children,
1: man, chew on that a while. You are of
0: God, little children. Remember what he said? Flip back to chapter two, look at verse number 20, I believe it is. No, it's not verse number 20.
1: Let me see if i got a reference down here. Why did I write 20?
0: Yeah, it is verse number 20. Two, verse number 20. It says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. That anointing is the charisma. You have charisma. You have Christ in you. Not charisma. A lot of you have charisma with no charisma. You need charisma. Not a lot of you. None of you. All of you have charisma and no charisma. Maybe that's what I should say. But you have the charisma from the Holy One and you know all things. Let me tell you what if you can go to a church that doesn't pass these tests that He just gave you, and you can sit there week after week and like you're in la la land or something, you don't have the charisma. You don't have the anointing. If you go to a church where error is taught week after week after week, it is going to drive you right out of there. You're not going to want to stay in there. And if you want to stay in there, I, I feel for you. You stay in a church that is antichrist. you are
1: anti-Christ. Now, in verses 2 and 3 here, he gives us,
0: the, his own test, and it's a big one. And you want to spot a church or denomination, or a church within a denomination, that is antichrist. this is the test. This is the test right here. By this you know the Spirit of God. You know if this individuals of the Spirit of God, you know if there's churches of the Spirit of God, you know if you're of the Spirit of God. Every spirit that fe- confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now and is now already in the world. What's the test? Look back at the verse again. Those who confess that Jesus has come in the flesh are of God. Those who say that Jesus has not come of the flesh are of Antichrist. And Antichrist includes the big bad Antichrist of the Great Tribulation. But John says many Antichrists have come into the world already. And so when he was speaking way back in the first century, there were all sorts of Antichrists. There have always been Antichrist. Because the devil is Antichrist. And the devil and his demons are behind Antichrist. But the big, big test is what do they say about Jesus coming in the flesh to this world? Well, I don't know of a church in this city, other than maybe the Jewish church or the Jewish synagogue, that doesn't teach the story of Christmas. I mean, I bet you most of the churches in town have Christmas decorations. Now, some of them don't because you go to hell if you put up a Christmas tree. Some of them think that. But, but there, are, there are churches, that's the biggie for them. That's the big test. You put up a Christmas tree, then you're, then you're evil. You're of Antichrist. Where they get that, I don't know.
1: But who doesn't believe that Jesus came in the flesh?
0: I mean, I, I, I mean, a lot of atheists believe that Jesus came in the flesh. They came, he came in the flesh. He was born in the flesh in Bethlehem. Just about everybody believes that. So does that make everybody of God? No, let me explain to you. Look back at the text. He says, those who confess that Jesus has come in the flesh are of God. Now everybody believes that Jesus was born on this earth but there is a big difference between being born and coming. Big, big difference. You and I were born so we became. We didn't come. See the difference? Jesus came. Jesus came in the flesh. That means he existed prior to coming to Bethlehem. He existed as who? Almighty God. That's who Jesus is. That little baby in Bethlehem is no other, none other than Almighty God. How could Almighty God become a baby in a manger? He was virgin born. He was virgin born. I mean, Paul tells it like this. Go with me up back to, Paul gives you the Christmas story over in the book of Philippians. Go over to Philippians chapter 2. And Go to verse number five. Go back a few books to Philippians chapter two, verse number five. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in who? Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God, who was Jesus before he came? He was in the form of God. He's none other than God. Did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Now, here's what, I, here's what you miss sometimes. But he made himself of no reputation. What does he mean, no reputation? A baby in Bethlehem. He made himself. Who made him a baby in Bethlehem? He made himself a baby in Bethlehem. God Almighty made himself a baby In Bethlehem. You know what that reminds me of? Who raised Jesus from the dead? Well a lot of people say. God the Father raised him from the dead. God the Father. You can see scripture did raise him from the dead. But you remember what Jesus said? He said what? He said I will raise myself up. After three days. I will raise myself up. I will raise this temple up. After three days. He made himself. A baby in Bethlehem. Only God could make himself a baby in Bethlehem. It's a big difference. A, it looks like a subtle difference, but it's not. I mean, I guess it is subtle, but it's very, very, very important that you see that God came. God didn't, wasn't created. God wasn't created by some greater God. There's a lot of evangelicals who believe that. And somehow Jesus is a lesser God. No, he is Emmanuel, God with us. He came. He came. He was virgin born. He was knit together in Mary's womb by himself, by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of Christ. He was knit together in Mary's womb by God. He made himself a dull reputation, taking on the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of man. Going back now to 1 John.
1: See, this little baby in Bethlehem was knit together by
0: God in the womb of Mary. And yeah, he had to grow in wisdom and stature. He had to grow. It's an amazing thing. And, and yeah, he had, to, he had to at some point realize that he was God. At what point, I don't know. I mean, as a baby, I don't know. We don't know all of those things. But he made himself as a bondservant. And anybody that denies that incarnation of God, Emmanuel, that God himself has come, he is Antichrist. And that denial takes all sorts of forms. I, I read recently a very well-known evangelist. i going to talking about a well-known evangelist. I'm not going to name his name. I don't name names in here. But an evangelical evangelist. To tell people that Jesus did not come to this earth as God. That he became God when he was baptized with the Spirit. Friends, that is of Antichrist. That is of Antichrist. Jesus, yes, he emptied himself of his glory. Yeah, he had to grow in wisdom and stature. Yeah, the Spirit did descend upon him, but he he was and is and always has been Almighty God. You understand that in Jesus, the blood of David flowed, the blood of Mary, but it wasn't just the blood of Mary and the blood of David flowing through his veins. It was the blood of God, the very blood of God that was shed for you on that cross. And if you deny that, you are anti-Christ. Look, you you go to the Muslims, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, they all believe in Jesus Christ, but they deny that he came that God came, Emmanuel came. And I, there are, I, still, I, I, I see it in evangelical circles, this twisted view of Jesus, this twisted view that somehow he's some less something less than Almighty God. I, people call me a heretic because I will tell you that Jesus is none other than Jehovah God. He's the great I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Do I believe the Trinity? Certainly I believe the Trinity. There's a Father, there's a Son, and the Holy Spirit, but they're the same God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. Jehovah is one God. And all the Godhead, Godhead is what? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwell in him bodily. And any other teaching other than that is antichrist. Well, what does it matter? You know what? It, what why it matters Because you cannot understand that, nobody understands it, but you can't believe that without having the Spirit of God in you. And someone who teaches other than that does not have the Spirit of God in them. And if you believe other than that, I'm not trying to condemn you. I want you to get your feelings hurt, and I want you to get convicted, and I want you to get mad, and I want you to go study the Scriptures, and you'll find out the same thing. Tell you what, if you go to the Lord and you ask the Lord to show you this truth, he will show you this truth. Will you be able to argue it with the Jehovah's Witnesses? To some degree you can, but they'll twist and turn on you. They'll say, well, when Jesus said, I and the Father are one, he was talking about unity. Well, that's taking a word and changing the meaning of the word to make your case. You can't argue with people that will do that. You, You just forget them. You can't argue with them. You can't argue with people that don't see this spiritually. But listen, verse number four. Again, here we go. You are of God, little children, and you've overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in this world. That's a verse that's often taken sort of out of context because who's the them? It's referring to false teachers, to Antichrist. But false teachers can't fool you. You're of God. And greater is Christ who is in you than than any teaching of the Antichrist. And and really, you can refer that to the devil because Antichrist are backed by the spirit of the devil. And so uh, he who is in you is greater than he who is in this world, greater than the devil. Hey, that's good news. You know, we got, as evangelicals sometimes, I, I know Christians sometimes, they get this idea that somehow the devil's as great as Christ. That's foolishness. All things were created by him, powers and principalities, all of them. They were created by him, for him, and through him, we're told in Colossians chapter 1. In him, all things exist. They, they, they can't survive without him. You know why the devil keeps breathing? I don't know if he breathes. I don't know what he does. I know why he keeps existing? Because God keeps him existing. Why? He was, cre- he was created for him, for God's purposes. You know what the devil is? He is a puppet of God. And greater is he in you than the devil who's in this world. And don't, you don't have anything to fear. Now, it's not your job to go around rebuking the devil and putting the devil down. You better be careful with that. You might get beaten up really bad. But Christ can do it for you. You just talk talk to Christ when you're getting beaten up by the devil. And you, you, you name the name of Jesus, and Jesus, take care of this for me. He'll take care of it for you. You know, I tell people all the time, the devil cannot touch you unless the Lord allows him to touch you. You know what the devil does most of the time? He barks at you. I, I, I can tell you a story, every person in this room just about, that I've talked to about some trouble they've had in their life. And you know what I've told them? That's the devil barking at you. He's barking at you and, and, nothing, and, and, and nothing's going to happen to you that God doesn't allow. And in almost every one of those cases, I can look around this room right now that I've talked to somebody about some issue they've had, that issue is long gone and behind them, and it never, it never harmed them one bit. And they can testify to that. You are of God, little children. And then verse number five, they, these false teachers and Antichrist, are of the world. You're of God. They're of the world. You reject this world system. They embrace this world system. Therefore, they speak as of the world. And the world hears them. See, most people... Even those who are going to church today, and I'm not talking about our church, but in a lot of churches, are of the world. And most people hear the things of the world, and they want to hear the things of the world. The Antichrist and the false teachers appeal to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, and people want to hear that. They want to get their ears tickled. And that's exactly what Paul says. Flip back with me real quickly back to 2nd Timothy. We were at 1st Timothy, so you'll be able to find 2nd Timothy pretty easy. 2nd Timothy chapter 4. Oh, no wonder. Man, I'm sitting there in 1 Timothy. I'm saying, this isn't what I want. All right, 2 Timothy. I wish they had called him a different name or something, just middle name. I would have these problems. They're called the Corinthian church by another name instead of 2 Corinthians. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, listen to what he says in verse number 3. For a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They don't want to hear it. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. That's what people want to hear. And there are a lot of teachers out there who will give them exactly what they want to hear.
1: But, Is that how you grow a
0: church? Not the kind of church that God wants to grow. Not the kind of church that that matters. No, to grow a church the right way, you teach the word. Look at verse number two. Go back to verse number two. We're still in 2 Timothy. Verse number two. He says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with long suffering and teaching. Hang in there. The word's going to get you through. The word's going to bless you. Sometimes it's tough. Sometimes it's convicting. Sometimes, I mean, he says, preach the word, be ready in season. And in season, convict. That may be a better translation there. Rebuke. Rebuke people's sin. Rebuke sin in our lives. Exhort. There's so much to be exhorted about In the Bible, so many, so much good news here. But you got to be convicted first. You got to get that sin out of your life, with all long suffering and teaching. And then the last verse, going back to Second, uh, I almost said Second John. See these guys, Uh, First John, (laughs) Chapter Four. Verse number six, the last verse for today. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. Who's the us? Who's the we? John, the apostles, Peter, James, Paul. They're the apostles. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. Well, these guys wrote this 2,000 years ago. A bunch of guys, they were fishermen. Who are these people? Why should I listen to them? Because we are of God. And we know that they are of God. And we know people who teach these epistles verse by verse and teach you the truth in these epistles should be of God. And we know if they're not of God. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear. Hear us. Listen, I can tell people who hate this word. I can tell people who get bored by this word. In fact, for some people, it bores them to death to listen to verse-by-verse preaching of the word. Sometimes you're just tired to understand that. But if this bores you, if the word bores you, if the, if the epistles bore you, I I understand that. But I also understand... You're not of the Spirit of God. You're not of God. You're still antichrist. You're still against God. He is not for me is against me. And I'm not saying that to judge you. I'm saying that to convict you. Get right with God. Once you get right with God, you you won't have any question about whether or not this is of God, what John is saying here. You'll know it's of God. You know it's of God because You've been born again. See, you don't measure spirituality by how many missions you do. You don't measure spirituality how big a church is. You measure spirituality by the fact, are you of God? And you know that you're of God if you know that Jesus Christ has come. He's come in the flesh. He's emptied himself of, the glo- of his glory and come as a little child at Bethlehem, Emmanuel, God with us. If you know that, if you know that Jesus is, is virgin born, if you know those kind of things, hey, you're a spiritual person. You're born of God. You, you hear the words of the apostles. You, some people don't even care You know, 1 John 4, I could care less about that stuff. But you care because you are of God.
1: You know, we come here
0: and we study these epistles and we fellowship with one another in the Lord because We want to be blessed by God spiritually. We want to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we do that through his word.
1: But you know what else It's
0: very important? And I touched on this earlier. If you're of God, you want to, To bless God. You want to worship God. You want to learn more about God. That's why you study his word. You want to be grateful for what God has done for you. See, that's how you grow a church. You you might not grow it in numbers. But that's how you grow a church spiritually. And that's what really matters to God that we grow spiritually in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the message of Christmas, the fact that you've come to this world, come to this world as a babe in Bethlehem, as Emmanuel, God with us, with the purpose, the main purpose, Lord, of dying for our sins. Lord, there's a lot of people out there don't understand the christmas story we know that and and we see that in our society and christmas has been made into all sorts of things other than uh what you truly intended it to be so lord we just we we don't we don't judge the world lord we just ask for your grace uh, in their life so that they can see what you've given to us we are so grateful lord for that we are of god that we are of you lord that we've been chosen by you. We've been anointed by you. We've been blessed by you. We've been given the Christmas so that we know all things. Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you today, I ask, Lord, that you press their hearts to invite you into their lives so that they'll see that these epistles, these things that we study here, verse by verse, week by week, have great meaning and great purpose and great power for their lives. I just ask that you do all of these things in the precious name of Jesus. It's in his name that I pray.
1: Amen.